Nathan, do you have a, an American accent that you do, or a range no, of different? No, I'm really bad at do? doing accents. You know, not like well, us who are all good. Character that was oh yeah, no, that there's was... um, there's that one uh, that I kind of discovered by doing. You know, I guess that's how I discover that I can do voices is that I will play like JRPGs on stream and make up dumb voices for them because it isn't going to matter. Mm. And then some of them are like, oh, um, oh, I don't even know how this character sounds. Oh yeah, it's kind of like this kind of intonation. Um, and I can do that one, but I don't think that it's gets particularly a little convincing Cajun. at all. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be it. Yeah, um, you the- you do you. Sound like '90s cartoon era Gambit. Ooh. Yeah, bit, and I, I mean uh, Gambit is incredibly hot, so uh, <laughs> I think that's fine to be honest. <laughs> I was I was really hoping that you had like a Benedict Cumberbatch alien and human skin uh, just American accent. Grinding Love. your teeth yeah. to make we, it American. We just watched I Am from America. I am Doctor Strange. I'm, I'm Doctor Strange. Strange. I would like a hamburger. <laughs> Oscar Isaac should have gone that role, TBH, but that's just me. Holy shit, that would have been so much better. Oh, my God. And I I do, I don't dislike Benedict Cumberbatch, but absolutely Oscar Isaacs would have been fantastic. I I just don't picture Benedict Cumberbatch yelling by the hoary hosts of Hogarth, you know what I mean? I I need somebody who can yell silly spell names and make it look cool, and I don't Mm. think he could have landed that. Uh. Also, his name is Stephen Strange. If someone had said, like, this is a, a, a British doctor who lives in America. Mm-hmm. Right. Just, Why wasn't he just British? Just make him British. <laughs> just make him a British man. Now we come to a PC slot, uh, which allows actions from the crew of the Uhuru. What was the, in terms of the plan of maneuvering the ship? Because I know that we wanted to. I I would say, let's see how these next few rounds go. And then we'll reconsider our plan with the <laughs> So. Uh, I mean, you do still have two furnaces left available uh, aboard the so Uhuru. Just I'll puts one of know. our furnaces so offline. It's cool. n- yeah. Hmm. Uh, I still. I've got a Jonnet thing, but it's I've already gone mm. this turn. I, I still think yeah, that – are we still kind yeah. of cool with the luring them close enough to harpoon strategy, or are we switching tech? That hasn't mm. changed yet, no, as I, far I'm as I know. I'm just asking the group as to whether there's kind of like, no, we need to try something different, or whether we – No, I think that is very valid, and I have a couple ideas as to how we can still accomplish mm-hmm. that without – having to necessarily be speed mm. i mean it's mostly getting them close at this point i i wonder if if there are still assaults from like birds whether anti-bird measures might be in place here whether that is kind of like setting up really strong lamps that we might have been using for signaling or other things to like dazzle 
Ooh. Because hey, might be hard to I land like a that. bird if there is in the same way that you know you don't want to you don't want to point a laser pointer at somebody flying a helicopter. Uh, the the idea of trying to dazzle birds trying to approach, or like how you or... have to turn off all your lights when the sea turtles are laying their eggs. <laughs> oh, you know what I realized, folks? We should roll on the Uhuru death chart because there was an explosion around the furnace. And ah, people are ooh. servicing, like people are shoveling coal mm-hmm. into that furnace. But w- what I will say is you will have an indication that there was sabotage mm. for your balloon and probably know that there are people in the canopy. Yeah, because everyone felt the mm. ship shake upon the internal explosion. We are up to, oh, it's a 50-50 shot whether or not somebody gets hurt. All ah. right. All right. Y'all are really <laughs> lucky as I rolled for for two damage from kind of an exploding thing in a place that was, you know, near a threat range, but not necessarily. And I got 84 and 81, which does not trigger death on the Uhuru okay. death chart. So yeah. take those. You continue to roll really well. Woo-hoo. Dope. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, there's this explosion. The, the people servicing the furnace absolutely know mm. some shit is up and would shout that out. But yeah, this is a crew action. Crew has a maneuver and a action. What do they do? I feel like an option might be there could be a contingency of crew members on the deck that go to remove those smoke like the things emanating smoke, mm. something along yeah. those lines. So do you want that to be a nameless crew? If they're nameless crew, they're going to have three green dice. If they are red, if they are led by a named crew member, that will increase the threat range for failure, but will also upgrade one of those greens to a yellow. And the more named crew members that you add on to that, the higher your the the more you're going to upgrade your dice. But of course, the higher the chance that somebody in the crew is going to get hurt. Real quick, are we? Because I, I mean, it's cool, whatever. But Nathan had was pitching like we try and do something to like throw off the hmm. birds or something like that. Oh yeah, that, that's right. Well, that can be that can be a maneuver. Uh, ooh, right? throw them at like, the birds. Throw the smoke bombs at the birds. <laughs> the, hey, that that's true. You you could absolutely try and huck a smoke bomb at a bird. That, huck it. I feel that I feel that yeah. would be very difficult. Um. So like, Nathan, let's zoom in on sure. Nathan's first. Uh. So Nathan, what is the is is the anti bird maneuver? Spotlights? Yes, I, I, uh, I think or, this goes hand in hand. Uh, with no doses careful aiming oh because yeah. hey if that, the, that, if the silver think... bullet is like they're there we must get close so we can attack them and no those is like yes <laughs> so yeah uh i think we have backup we have the we have the spotlights that are used in the semaphore but you know they break or having backups is, is a thing so they can have additional lanterns or spotlights that they can use to specifically either pick out or dazzle birds along the side of the ship I love the idea that there are these chests like kind of on the top Mm -hmm. deck of the ship that like you can crack them open and inside there are like these polished steel mirrors that Mm -hmm. are curved essentially and have something where you can like put a flare inside them and that creates this 
bright mm. spotlight. So yeah, the crew dash to these various chests, crack them open, set up these little stands and light flares that they put inside and start shining them out. And now like this, like kind of sickly yellow light emerges from all sides mm -hmm. of the Uhuru. It will be easier for enemies to spot you, but also much easier for you to see mm -hmm. enemies. Um, and I think these are able to zero in and focus on the three birds that are flying around your ship right now. So that's the maneuver and the action now, which I can't remember Throw what the, the action we were talking about. Oh, just to remove the, uh, the smoke bomb emanating smoke from the deck, from the hull. Yeah. So the question that I have for you, Tyler, is do you want someone to lead it or do you want to just do a regular roll? Wendell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wendell leads the charge I, What here. a guy. He's here. I am going to make this hard because, like, you have to, with no visibility, sort of leap into action here. Uh, I am going to give Wendell a blue die for this, though, uh, because he is on the lower deck right now. He is on the main deck. He was hooked into the mast, so he kind of knows where it is before he has to actually wade into the actual smoke. And holy cow, he gets mm. it. Uh, it is three successes and two threats. Wow. Ah. He hooks it real good. Yeah, I feel like these bombs, when they when they work the way that they're supposed to, they have like maybe little like spikes or barbs that when they hit whatever surface, they kind of embed in. And yeah. I feel like, so we, we see his view, we zoom into the smoke, and then we see like this kind of like mangy looking smoke emanating barb thing stuck in the deck and then we like get a like a close shot of it and then we just see like two hands just grapple it and then we see Wendell's face like gritted teeth emerge through the smoke and then we just see him just like shot put it up and like off Still the Still with deck. the killer eyeliner. Well, not much time has passed yes. then returns. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, the, the thing that I also want us to remember about Wendell is Wendell has a necromantic oh, arm. Yeah, um, yes. So it's not even so, two hands, it's just one. <laughs> it's, it's the one, he grabs it and it hurls it off the side of the ship. I think what this is, is Wendell has injured his arm for the first time since it was repaired by Dref. So... One of these spikes, I think, went through the hand. He's still able to throw the smoke bomb overboard and whatnot. The The threats are Wendell is going to notice later on that he injured himself in this way and that he did not bleed. Because Wendell, we know, cannot feel pain on this arm. That is one of the things that we established. So later on, Wendell is going to notice that this happened and might have some follow-up <laughs> questions because of that. Mm. However, the smoke bomb has been cleared from the deck. So we did do that, which brings us to the top of another round of initiative. Mm -hmm. This is an NPC slot. I think they are going to drop altitude they are now wow they've got to do an extreme drop in altitude again because they are two range bands above the uhuru instead of the preferred one 
Oh yeah, they are on heavy burn mm-hmm. right now. Um, so they can drop without causing additional strain. However, they are finally starting to put strain on their furnace mm-hmm. systems. Hey, if they're being really reckless with their speed, being able to uh, change course or stop after problems occur might be hard for them. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. And they don't have a full weave sail either. So like they are really having to work hard. They're going to have to both accelerate. They're going to accelerate up to five speed, which is above their max speed right now. Real quick, just one more time. Mm-hmm. Say that again. They do not have a full weave sail. Yes, okay. uh, they don't have a full weave sail, All which right. means uh, on the Uhuru, your whole sail is feather weave. Mm-hmm. On the Silver Bullet, it is not all feather weave. Okay. It is partially feather weave. Cool. That is an expression that reads, I'm, I'm riding this. a thing that is basically made of angry knives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they're going to drop down. So now they are finally in range for the Uhuru's grapple, which whenever you decide to resolve that, that will be there. But they are also now in good range to finally fire on the Uhuru when they decide to act again. It is now a PC slot. I mean, you were cackling with evil laughter, Johnette. Like, I need to see. (laughs) But also, like, hey, hey, if anybody's got something, go ahead. But if nobody's got something, I might have something. I have just gotten a bit. Yeah. I have a little idea. So is the, I just slid down. How tilted are we at this moment? I think you've leveled out a bit at this point. Um, you well, you did just drop down. Now uh, you might still be tilted. It's not quite forty-five degrees. Here's, it might be a twenty-degree tilt. Here's what I want to do. Uh, so I slid down, grab my gun. I want to basically slide until I hit a wall. Like I want to land on the wall with my feet. So like I'm kind mm-hmm. of standing on the wall, and then use that to kind of like run up the side and around onto the ground again. So that I'm standing on the, not the ground, the floor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Of course you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) And who's even left in here? We don't have many people left in here, I feel. I think there might be like one rowdy R unaccounted for in here. But like, it's mostly the contingent of rowdy R's that are in the cargo. And now the people who are currently sabotaging the Uhuru's. Mm -hmm. Rocco tried to escape as well. So. Yeah, Rocco's trying to escape. Okay, then I'll then I'll go for the the remaining minion. And now that I have my gun, I will use my gun. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to shoot a minion with a gun. And minions are normally very pro gun, so this is going to be a, like kind of a delicious. Uh, again, this is my experience from seeing memes uh, about the minions. <laughs> uh, so let's pull a luminary to see how easy it is to find this person. Because a lot of chaos has ensued. Oh, the bounty. Um, so Travis does this cool sliding parkour move to stand himself up and basically stands up into a ready-to-fire position and his gun already happens to be pointing directly at this person <laughs> who was unaccounted for. So yeah, Travis, uh, why don't you roll your attack? That is three successes and a hmm. threat. Yeah, this is ooh okay you shoot this person dead 
I think you do it with two shots, though. You you fire your gun twice. That means One, I have to reload. Exactly. That's the threat. Um, ah, okay. So, yeah, what, what I think happens, like, Travis is in the ready-to-shoot position, quickly snaps off two shots. The first shot shoots the gun out of their hand, and the second shot hits them directly in the chest. <laughs> Sending them tumbling out of a porthole because it's Travis mm-hmm. and it's stylish. Will um, on screen. Um, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of stylish, I have an idea that I don't have to use now because I assume I'll be reloading on my next turn. Well, that that's with a maneuver, but yeah. Okay. Can we have a thing? You know, when you go to like, not you, because why would any of us have done this? But when you go to a drive-in restaurant in a movie mm. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they give you your change and they have the little the little machine that they yeah. like press the button and it shoots the coins oh, huh. out like the man mm-hmm. at the arcade like the man yeah. at the do you have a bullet dispenser yeah. i was say you want, have to do that for bullets i want that but bullets so that i can yes. you can like put your gun underneath and like dispense bullets into your gun okay uh, well so <laughs> the challenge here travis i want to shoot bullets I'm into my gun <laughs> The challenge is you have bang, a bang, revolver, bang, 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 bang. which makes it extremely difficult to do that. However, here's where I'm going to leave you halfway. Revolvers have quick loaders, which is essentially when you pop the barrel mm. out of a revolver, it is a device that has like the bullets waiting in it aligned to it. We could have a cylinder that is like kind of spring loaded where you twist the top that locks in four new bullets. You withdraw those, put them into the barrels of your revolver, do the release on that, and then put it back on your hip. I like it a lot because it's kind of a halfway between a revolver action and an automatic pistol Mm -hmm. action, and also cool while still being extremely (laughs) dorky. Uh, So I I just, I love this, and especially because you have an Italian-designed gun, this is absolutely something an Italian engineer would think Mm -hmm. of for a gun. So I heartily Japanese. A Japanese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you definitely have that. Uh, cool. So 100%. The finest Ferraris made these. It goes so fast. Beautiful. Yeah, this in the in the universe of Skyjacks, this is a Ferrari pistol. Mm. Um, instead oh of making automobiles, oh Ferrari my god, an engineer designed firearms. My guns, uh, so no. fast, so, so Ferrari guns, and that would be entirely plausible to me that if Ferrari was like, we're just going to branch out uh, into gun. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Cars go fast. Guns go, go fast. Economical. <laughs> so fast. Guns are the cars of weapons. Mm. Wow, they really are. Huh. What's the skateboard of weapons? Is that the Kasari Baba? Is that what's going on? I was gonna say there? nunchucks, so yeah, yeah, both of them pretty close. Mm. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right, it's nunchucks. So they're, they're whatever the your teenage friend has. Family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Kasari yeah, gun that- is like a razor scooter. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is good. Um, okay, so that was our PC slot. We are now moving on to an NPC mm-hmm. slot, and these folks are going to try and navigate towards the next part of the Uhuru to drop another sabotage grenade down the stack. 
and potentially cause a lot of problems Uh for your boat. But it's not a guarantee that they can do it. Holy shit. (laughs) Holy shit. So this is a failure. Oh, okay. With a triumph. Oh. Uh, So it's one failure, one triumph, no threats or advantages. What happens? (laughs) They move to the mizzen stack. That is the furnace stack at the back of the ship. And uh, (laughs) yeah, what it is, uh, the mizzen stack is already kind of under repair right now when a stack goes out um, on a ship. Like stacks are built out Mm. of iron or steel, generally speaking, which is not something that you usually have just lying around for repair on your ship. So instead, you usually repair them with moistened leather Mm. that, you know, keeps the stack mostly together. You do have to keep re-moistening it so it doesn't burn away. It's kind of a pain in the ass. It does make the stack a little bit less efficient, but it keeps things together. This is under repair, so when they drop the grenade down there, it does not reach the furnace itself. It instead cracks and bursts open inside the stack mm. itself, bouncing off of that leather sheet into the side of the stack rapidly cooling the side of the stack, not causing a full explosion, but definitely causing metal strain and metal strain enough that your mizzen stack is completely Hmm. out. So that hole tears open again and now smoke is pouring out of the stack attached to the rear furnace on the Uhuru. This is where things start to get bad. You have one furnace remaining that is in good working order. And if you don't address some of these out Mm. furnaces soon, especially at extreme low altitude, Mm. you are in danger of crashing Mm -hmm. into the water. So... I, I I kind of, you know, Ar- Arama at some point is going to terminate a chase Brocco, but I, I think I need to go and sacrifice my turn to uh, uh, have another crew action because we need to save a crew action for the harpooning. Uh, we want to keep that floating. Well, we can use a maneuver to mm. chase Rocco. I like the idea of Oromar, like there being kind of a horror movie-esque chase where Oromar is the monster chasing okay. down Rocco. Sure, sure, sure. So can I take my man- maneuver for Oromar and then my action for the crew? Is that a thing that I'm allowed to do? Okay, sick. Yeah. 1,000. Mm. So yeah, we get like cut out of uh, mid to late, like an early to mid 2000s like slasher flick style shot of Rocco banging against the side of the ship as the ship tilts me on. <laughs> as you just hear boots down the stairs, like the sound of scraping as Oromar is just dragging one hand along the side of the ship. Uh, a ship's wall, like the wood is just being gouged out underneath bony talons as uh, Oromar continues to advance. I like the idea of like because you know there's not much that it takes to get to the stairs and whatnot it's a narrow hallway for these stairs of Rocco 
running from Oromar, going through that, and basically emerging in the threshold for the, the aviary deck of the ship. And we can see behind him the silhouette of Oromar looming mm-hmm. down over him, just so we as the audience know that this conflict is mm-hmm. inevitable. He will be caught up to mm. and dealt with. But yeah, Nathan, what were you picturing for this this crew? Well, the action? thing I would what kind of like, and you know, I I know nothing about the engineering of the ships in the setting or in general, so let me know if this is a silly, silly bullshit. But because this is essentially a big burning furnace that sends smoke up to an area, and we've got these smoke masks that prevent, you know coal filtrate poisoning but that doesn't protect against mm-hmm. any other things for example and i like the idea that because mm-hmm. this is a thing a form of sabotage that can be done to a ship that there are countermeasures for this and uh mm-hmm. whoever's in the furnaces throws an ampule oh. into the furnace and the kind of smoke that it makes is caustic mm. Oh, yeah. Of so course. they've got a mask. Of they can breathe just fine. But the burning sensation <laughs> is Let's uh, go. I considerably love more miserable. I, yeah. God, I love that. I love that so much. Um, especially because Featherweave is extraordinarily mm. resilient. And that cost that this must be a cleaning solution like (laughs) you you run this up because it burns away a lot of stuff it makes your job a lot easier you know (laughs) it's something that like well yeah this is for a longer cleaning process and usually when we're docked but every sky pirate knows that you can always drop this in to if anybody's sabotaging Mm -hmm. your sails um because it's some some young scrappy sky pirates go well why don't we just sabotage their furnaces from inside the envelope and it's like have i ever told you the story of no skin Mm. jim no (laughs) 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 uh yeah i love that so yeah, this gets dropped in, and immediately we can hear muffled screams coming from mm-hmm. the envelope. Like mm. as whoever the furnace director is, which Nathan, who who is this character who's oh. the furnace engineer? Can it be a new person? Yeah, of course. Yay! I like the idea that we have. Before they were a pirate, they were a brewer. They were a finest brewer of alcohols and quite experimental in the nature of the alcohol that they liked to brew. And some of that was pretty dangerous stuff. And after various failed experiments of making the ultimate hoppy IPA before it was even a thing that people even discovered <laughs> that they would want to drink, had mostly made, you know, poisons. Until somebody <laughs> was like, hey, have you considered... <laughs> being a chemist because i think you're probably better at that wonderful work for a different thing (laughs) maybe you know they found their true calling actually in being a chemist in a different life they probably would have worked for the broker and had a wonderful relationship business relationship Mm. um but under this particular circumstance actually they ended up because you know the process of cleaning and also just i think the general chemical compositions of having to burn correct fuel that doesn't in the same way that when you're fueling a car there's actually a decent amount of chemistry that goes into the right kind of fuel that isn't going to wreck the engine over a period mm. of time so yeah they've they've been taking their chemist skills for the most part to 
actually make sure the engine is running clean and beautiful. But also, they're like, oh, I can absolutely use the cleaning fluid that we use <laughs> to yeah. ruin these people's day. And yeah, yeah, I, I, I um, hmm. they are called, they are Carlos. Carlos. Uh, Carlos. We see, Carlos. <laughs> uh, we see a somebody. Re- we don't see the person, but we see this cupboard open and uh, well manicured, well painted nails. I think purple, long like stiletto tips, like enclose around this kind of like potion bottle of cleaning fluid as it is removed from the cabin. And uh, yeah, yeah, we we in fact we don't even get to see fate the the person's face the way it's shot they are in silhouette but have shiny kind of like chemist goggles on yeah yes Um, (laughs) as it just pours into the furnace anime protagonist Uh (laughs) uh-huh yeah well i I like that you'd probably just toss the whole bottle oh yeah absolutely flung in the well manicured hand we see it leave the hand as it flies into the furnace and (laughs) cling yeah you shut you shut the furnace vent and we see that the fire turns green inside um roars up and like there there's some twisting of dials pulling of pulleys and whatnot as more air is being channeled and vented into this furnace so it can very quickly disperse because this would have to be the four furnace um, mm-hmm. that they're doing this with us the main furnace is down and the mizzen mm-hmm. furnace is down so the four furnace flares up and then you can hear muffled screams coming from the envelope and we just do like a zoom in on these goggles as they are reflecting against the searchlights in the night as those screams play out. Mm-hmm. Heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, the One-Shot Network is still supporting the 2021 IGDN Diversity Sponsorship. This is a wonderful program that helps connect designers from all different kinds of backgrounds with the tools they need to make their games a reality, providing them with transportation and lodging for Metatopia so they can test out their designs, connecting them with professional mentors so they can learn the tools of the trade, and offering them some of the tools of the trade through membership to the IGDN. This is a wonderful program that has helped so many designers advance their careers and bring some really cool games to life. Currently, the IGDN is fundraising in order to be able to bring the sponsorship support to more people. And the OneShot Network is matching up to $1,000 of donations. So if you like games and you think diversity would be a huge benefit to the gaming community, I recommend making a donation to this cause. And I am so happy to be right there with you matching that donation. All you have to do is go to fundly.com slash 2021-IGDN-diversity-sponsorship or follow the link in our show notes. There you can make a donation and help someone make a game. Thanks, heroes. Before we get back to the show, I'd like to take a quick moment and thank some of our backers on Patreon. Kenneth Hagee, thank you. Mindful Wrath, thank you. Gabriel Gonzalez, thank you so much. 
Heather Biggs, thank you. Someone named Will, thank you so much. Aaron Kwong, thank you. Candace Griffith, thank you so much. Peter Brown, thank you very much. M. Winters, thank you. Lichen Throw Up, uh, thank you so much. Dave, thank you. Ray Melhorn, thank you so much. Adrian Crumenaker, thank you. Graham Watson, thank you so much. Ari, thank you. Brooke Chatelaine, thank you so much. Kim Cuthberson, thank you very much. Gregory Lauzon, thank you. Madeline Hart, thank you so much. And Evan Tran, thank you. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. I am happy to report that the next bonus series for Skyjacks is currently in Allie Grower's capable hands. I'm going to let Allie get a couple episodes ahead on editing so we can post this series on a weekly basis. But I am so, and I cannot wait to tell you what we've got in store for you. If you would like to listen to that bonus series when it comes out, please head over to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and sign up to support us. That support not only helps bring you the show that you are listening to right now, but it supports everyone who makes that show. It's how we pay all of our performers. It's how we pay our wonderful editor, Casey, and our composer, Arnie Parrott. And it is also uh, how I support my family. <laughs> and I deeply appreciate everyone who does it. So thanks to everyone who signed up already and everyone who's going to sign up in the future. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. We get to an NPC slot, and normally, I, I think this would fall to Rocco, but I really want to resolve Rocco's shit next round. So okay. I'm going to return to the silver bullet because we do need a little bit of threat from them. Mm -hmm. uh, they are now in kind of an ideal position to drop grape barrels down onto the deck of the Uhuru. And I'd like to see them thinking, try. Like, yeah, try. Exactly. Bet because you won't. they, what would normally be. I talked to a, a bunch of babies and they said no. Average check uh, is going to be a hard check because of all the babies. And an automatic failure. What are we even doing here? Yeah. Oh, that. Oh, that's right. It's an automatic failure. Yes. It's, it's not even that. Um. So, yeah, they are going to roll. They will have a failure to start this roll no matter what. Thanks to Acquire of Angel Babies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. The way you've been announcing these roles today, James. <laughs> it's a lot. It's very good. Yeah. I'm enjoying the tension. Oh, my. They fail. However, they get a triumph. What is happening? No. Yeah, what? they are How a lot you... of triumph. That's the third triumph today that someone has rolled. Yeah. Wait, so well, what? I mean, what are what's the what's their stats? What are their <laughs> they, they get two green and a yellow. But and, two green and a yellow. And then one that only has triumphs on it. Yeah, and one oh. die that, that uh, well, one of the dice is blank. I just remember what the symbols are <laughs> on each side. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah. No, they get a triumph. So what I am going to say is this is going to bounce up so it's actually it's a failure to advantages and a triumph um mm. 
So this is going to bounce off the main deck. That's what they were aiming for. And grape barrels are barrels of gunpowder that are full of grape shot, which is one of the most insidious, like kind of nautical weapons of the time. When you were in close range with another ship, you're past the point where you're trying to punch a hole in their hull and actually sink the ship. You are trying to kill as many people as possible. And grape shot is just sort of stacked up large balls that can do a little bit of damage to a hull, but mostly they just spread out and kill people. And it's really nasty. And if you were able to drop charges down onto a ship from above, you're not going to fiddle around with trying to damage the hull as much as you're just going to try and kill everybody operating that ship. Thankfully, though, the Uhuru is protected by babies right now. And... A choir of babies sings very hard at this grape shot and it bounces off of something that is not there and tumbles towards the aft of the ship and explodes. And grape shot sinks into the rudder of the Uhuru. Mm. Staring. Also, to check, the angels, for the most part, unless they're like running around like Gable, are like the biblical, many eyes, no actual corporeal form style of angels. So these are non Euclidean, too many eyes, flaming wheels, angel babies. But also (laughs) adorable. Yeah, and they're not angels themselves this is angelic power Mm. gable has cast a divine spell you know using the divine language of angels and whatnot and sometimes the way angelic power manifests is in a choir yes um so yeah, like it, it it is calling to mind the power of these these cherubic angels, which if you look up cherubs, they are the ones with eyes on their wings. I think they are flaming wheels, if unless I am mistaken otherwise. Mm-hmm. But they're weird. Just making sure that we all what? have the same visual that they are not cute. <laughs> or maybe they're cute to, to Gable. Like Gable's like, oh, <laughs> They're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're ugly cute. They're beautiful um, to me. So, so we come to a PC slot, and I believe this is probably going to be Jonnet, right? Mm. We've been waiting. Jonnet's had devious plans. Up cool. There. Well, then, all of this is happening. Jonnet's watching this happen as he is currently the the person that is highest up in the sky, and Jonnet is processing that shit is currently hitting the fan. He's taking in everything, and he notices the balloon of the silver bullet and how it is only partially made of feather weave. And so Jonnet is going to call to Metatron to go in the steepest dive that the bird can muster. And he's going to be aiming directly for a patch in the balloon that is, because I believe like, Featherweed has like uh has distinctive properties when it's like heated and and like lifted and the other sail wouldn't. So he's going straight for that. He's reaching into his bag and he's pulling out a second flare. And so I would like to roll magic to light this flare 
and then boost the flame on it so that it like actually starts to burn open on this sail. Okay, 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 okay. I love to hit it with direct fire and like to the point where it's like it can't this non heat absorbing patch catches fire. So here, here's what I am going to say to you, Tyler, yeah. um, so that you can conceive this. It is still whatever material. It's probably canvas in some mm-hmm. way, but it's probably starlight treated canvas, which means starlight to remind folks who are not up on the engineering is a substance that you use to prevent fires from breaking out on skyships. The air is very dry. You have extremely hot furnaces bolted down onto wooden ships. Unless there was a heat sink involved, these things would simply catch fire and be burned away very, very quickly. So starlight is the substance that is used to treat so that like heat doesn't get through through things. Otherwise, you're absolutely right. If you were having a feather weave replacement be there for your sails, uh, it would just completely burn away. So you have these canvas sails that are treated with starlight. So the thing that John would know about a canvas that that canvas is if he can somehow get the fire behind the starlight to burn it just the canvas, it will burn away and starlight otherwise will be like paint or putty and not be able to sustain that balloon. So your spell, the challenge of your spell is not going to be able to heat up a super flare. It is going to be able to somehow get the fire of the flare behind the starlight coating on these the canvas part of this sail. So it's it's going to be like technical work for you. It's going to be difficult technical work. Um, But you could do something like if you've got canvas somewhere, if you light that canvas on fire, you might be able to like use that as a focus to connect it to like the canvas that is on this sail and be like, now it's all going to be on fire. Almost voodoo doll-esque of like, you know, ah. this is this is my focus, and I am transferring the fire through this focus. Real arcane shit. <laughs> okay. Well, that feels like, again, like this is something that Jonet has done before, where it's like we're taking materials that exist somewhere and we're moving it to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess this feels like Jonet's bag that he carries is probably made of some kind of canvas. And it's durable and resilient. So he got it from donating to NPR. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) he then flipped it inside out. So the NPR logo is on the inside. Um, (laughs) And um, so I guess- Advertising? Yeah, (laughs) it's a good bag though. So he's just going to dive, get as close as he can to the sail he's going to pull the flare and then as like metatron like levels out along the f- the sail he's just going to pop the flare directly at his own bag and then at like it's going to be like a I don't know how hard this roll is going to be but it feels like it's going to be hard he's going to pop it let it hit the canvas for like two seconds and then he's going to move it to the neighboring canvas 
Yeah. Mm. This is going to be a hard check. Um, I know already what will happen if there are threats or despair, which makes me feel very good. But this is a big move, so it is not just a hard check. It is upgraded once, so you're rolling two purple and one red die. Yeah, that's um, fair. You like also, I'm going to rule that you get to upgrade your own dice by one because you're using your bag for this. There is an inherent sacrifice in this, whether you intended or not. Okay. So one green becomes a yellow? A yellow. Okay. Yes. All right. Here we go. Hair, brain, scheme. <laughs> oh. You simply must be fucking with me. Ah! <laughs> um, okay, so that's going to be a wash with two advantages. Ew. Ah. We turn once again to the luminaries. So <laughs> I mean, they can more better us. time. More better time. Also, that's such a neat magic property. Like, oh, I'm going to change the property of this one nearby thing and then move that property just elsewhere. That's great. And now you have it. The whale, which, of course, the big theme attached to the whale is revenge. I'll take that. Revenge, irony, and fate. Mm. So what I'm going to say is the spell is imperfect in its execution. It is a brilliant idea, but imperfect. What happens, there is a dive and a sweep across the sails of the silver bullet as Metatron flies across. Jonnet is mid-air trying to cling to the back of a diving bird, taking out his bag, hitting it with a flare, and trying to cast a spell to immediately transport it. What happens is, Jonnet, you don't know that it's successful. You don't know that it's as successful as it is because basically you distribute it instead of like a chunk, you distribute it in several small streaks, greatly weakening the canvas. So this canvas in two rounds is going to have a gigantic hole tear open in it all at once, opening up that envelope. But it appears as though nothing has happened. And you, Jonnet, are going to take two strain for this. Just two? Just two. And you got two advantages, which I'm trying to decide what those should be. So I remember you talking before about putting yourself kind of behind the silver bullet in a way that can kind of highlight where it is. That was one of the things you were kind of aiming to do. So, you know, that might be uh, helping to... It feels like we're relatively close to Nodos's shot attempt. Yeah, I feel like if this straight up didn't work, I was hoping to like be able to pivot and be like, if nothing else, the flare is still lit, it's still glowing, and there's still some kind of luminescence that then like tips off someone else on the Uhuru as to an exact, more exact like whereabouts. I think we get an additional blue die yeah. for Nodos's shot, which, hey, we are at the final PC slot of the turn. We can turn over to Nodos. <laughs> Nodos. I, I, can, can, can I help? Y- yes. Can I help? Please. Uh, uh, <laughs> please. Please, uh, please help. Can I please? Um, please, I have no idea what I'm doing. 
please help me. <laughs> what I'm thinking here is so where is the silver bullet right now? The the silver bullet is one range band up and behind the Uhuru. Okay. Would there be a way the Uhuru currently has two furnaces that are busted and our rigging is busted. We're not going to be able to make up speed or do anything. Could we as a crew make a call to do such a hard stop, such a hard break that they whip way forward on us and so far forward that they're in perfect aim for Nodos? I think they're actually kind of in perfect aim for Nodos right now because of where they are to do a heavy break what i mean once the heavy once we've got the harpoons in them doing a heavy break or a heavy turn will do a lot to mess up okay then yeah let's let's do that oh yeah no no then that, that that's what it is is you have an order as soon as the harpoon is set you are going to can we drop anchor uh. Yeah, you'll drop anchor. <laughs> That's it. Oh, That's perfect. it. Yeah, you'll drop anchor, which means you probably will also have to do a heavy burn on your four furnace because otherwise the Uhuru is going to dip in the water, which would be bad. That's fine. <laughs> God. Oh, that's great. So now yeah, you, we, I helped. Now, no, you no, did. Nothing. You did. Oh my God. I can't wait. I cannot wait for this. So, yeah. Two green and one yellow with an additional green die for all of the aiming our good boy has been doing. Over and you just last added rounds. a blue from Jonathan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the roll is currently against two purple dice, which I will upgrade one of those purple to a red because this is an enemy ship. Um, and that feels like that should be an adversary on some level. Mm. Uh, it is three green dice, one yellow die, and three blue dice from all of the various oh, oh. advantages that you've been <laughs> piling on Nodos' shoulders over these last many rounds. No pressure, Nodos. We do a close-up zoom on Nodos' eyes. Nodos, the man famous for never sleeping. Those eyes have an unerring sight on this target. At first, it was a small silver glint in the sky. And through the dropping and jerking of the various moves of the Uhuru, the explosions on and around deck, the smoke bombs, Nodos has had his gaze fixed on that silver glint in the sky never moving it away, positioning his feet, positioning the large ballista on the side of the Uhuru attached to the grapple, waiting to fire. He finally finds his moment, spying Jonnet's flare one more time over the hull of this ship, and he lets loose. And let's see what happened here. Oh my God, that was so close. That was so close to failing. Um, The purple die came up with two failures, and the red die came up with a failure. Um, So three failures is pretty heavy. However, you did roll four successes on this with five advantages. So I believe this is a crit as well. Really? Which means, yeah. 
we can look at what the critical table for vehicle combat is. Mm-hmm. Mm. No dose activated lock on. <laughs> Skink. Opens his mouth and the siren blares. Yeah, out. what was the name of the comedian who did all those fun sound effects in eighties movies? Um Mike Winslow. Yeah. Yeah. We get some real Mike Winslow <laughs> stuff going here. <laughs> I why did I why on earth would I close the dice report? Why would you? I don't know. I don't know, man. It's been a hard life. <laughs> Not even a hard day. Just wow. <laughs> the just whole, everything. The whole life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so this is hull damage. Great. Nodos's shot doesn't just go through the sideboards of the hull. I, I think it goes through the central support beam that makes up the fore of the ship, mm. uh, which means if this gets torn out, it is going to cause some real structural problems. But yeah, this goes out and there's some Mike Winslow sound effects that are much better than anything that I could ever do with my own voice. It sinks into, there we go, there we go. It, it sinks into the silver bullet and on Gable's order, the anchor drops for the Uhuru. And the lines go out. Nodos, having heard Gable's order to drop anchor, immediately pulls in the lock on the reel for this grappler. Gable, I am going to have you, you're not on heavy burn right now. I want you to make a hard roll for overcoming, for like doing this, this break as quickly as possible and, you know, losing speed very fast in a way that doesn't damage the ship severely. Hard is three purples, correct? Three purples, yes. Against my sailing, which is poor very poor let's do it let's boy that is one green huh <laughs> you're the helms person <laughs> yeah that's one green on my sailing or a mobile pilot next time as the helms person <laughs> who who trains other helms people that's got a one green <laughs> dice versus well, uh, you sure you want me to do this, James? You want <laughs> uh, Liz? I am positive mm-hmm. because failures are going to result in rolls on the Uhuru death chart, and will make us stronger. I understand. Okay, always thrilling, <laughs> always thrilling. All right, and uh, strain not- is going to not- hurt ship systems. Not impossible. All right, let's roll this. <gasps> That's a success and two threats. Are you kidding? Statistically unlikely. Cable comes through. I will. Yeah, I will show it to you. It's right there. Well, no, that's just Mario. This <laughs> is Mario. It's more game which, over. <laughs> I do love Mario. Yeah. So we do get some system strain. I have to put this on your guide sails. A, but a single neuron fires, and it's the single one I needed. 
<laughs> yeah, there are some lines that snap on the Huru guide sails as they flare out. I think we return to our, our brewmaster furnaceer as they are just shoveling coal into the fore furnace to prevent the Uhuru from immediately dipping into the water mm-hmm. as the silver bullet cruises past the Uhuru and the Uhuru's anchor hits and swings the broadside of the Uhuru out and then the complicated rigging on these grappling cannons gets struck taut and yanks the silver bullet back, causing it to spin out. And there is a horrible crunching sound that you know must mean disaster for their hull. And we come to the next round. And of course, I would like to come to Rocco. (laughs) Rocco, who has made his way downstairs. Rocco, who looks at the remaining contingent of rowdy R's in the aviary of the Uhuru. Rocco, who feels that despite being a little bloodied, despite being a little hurt and a little frightened, that he is very close to experiencing a victory over one of the most notorious Corsairs ever to sail the skies. Rocco looks out and can see that Flea is restrained, being held back by a contingent of Rowdy R's, that Lucas has been pushed angrily into a corner that the feather weave crates are loaded up, ready to be pushed out the side of the Uhuru. He cannot see the looming shadow of Oromar Vale behind him. All right, everybody. All right. Get ready to push the cargo out. And at this moment, we return to Cliff and Jane. Cliff and Jane being two characters that we took the time to put in the bird launches and got to the bird launches, but we didn't get to see what they did while they were there. And I believe at this, the lines that are holding Flea, the albatross, back snap as we can see tucked behind Flea, strapped into Flea's saddle, we can see Pliff, who has very carefully, delicately sawed away at those lines. We can also hear a clunk as the muzzle that was put on Lucas falls away from his wicked beak and his eyes gleam with hunger for human flesh, a delicacy that he has tasted before Mm. and has sworn that he will one day taste again. And now Rocco sees how desperate his situation truly is and He levels his revolver and aims it at the lines that are holding the feather weave in, thinking maybe if he can just launch himself and abandon all of these incompetents, he'll be able to escape back home to the silver bullet with a huge pile of treasure and still be welcomed as a hero. This is a very difficult shot to make. And Rocco is not the best shot in the world. Step 
tore off the ground. Wow, Rocco. <laughs> wow, Rocco. Rocco pulled through, huh? Hey, Rocco, good work, Rocco. Is there a triumph uh, there? Rocco, three successes and a threat. Sheesh. Dang. Sheesh. Which means the crates that were restraining the feather weave are now loose. Rocco runs over to these crates and begins to try and push them out. This is when the Uhuru rocks. As the anchor goes down and the line tethering it to the silver bullet goes taut, everything is sent into a spin. And I would like to move over to a PC slot because mm. I want to know what Oromar is going to do. Yes. So with that sudden like jolting, does that knock Rocco over or? Yes, of course. Yes. Um, <laughs> Rocco in hitting the deck, I think they fall face up and they feel something like warm splash on their face. I'm like, wait, what is that? And they go to their face to kind of see what it is. And it's like, oh, it's blood. It's, it's blood. And just over his head is the dripping bloody claw of Oromar Vale. Who <laughs> 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 has just advanced through. You know, there are other rowdy R's that are like fighting or whatever around. And Lucas is free. And yeah, you know. But Oromar has yeah. ignored all of that. <laughs> Blurrily in the background, we can see the pure white of Lucas's feathers getting sullied by the chest of the man he is tearing into, and Peacock squawking with utter glee as he tears them apart. We can see Jane, you know, having pulled a, a, a cutlass, battling a couple rowdy R's. We don't see what Cliff is up to at the moment, mm. uh, but like that's all blurrily happening in the background. That. Rocco can't see that because he is looking into the eyes of Oromar Vale, mm. which is an experience that tends to make the world melt away. In fact, just because, you know, um, let's test out the talents that this character has. Um, one of my talents is fearsome. Uh, when an opponent becomes engaged with my character during a combat encounter, they must make a fear check. It's a tier one fear check because I only have it at tier one. Maybe I should have made it stronger considering. <laughs> but this is like, I, I, I kind of pick this talent to represent if anybody gets too close to Oromar and realize that they're dead and that catches them by like surprise. You know, it's not a thing anybody would normally expect to see. I, I am going to give Rocco a black die on this as well, just because of the context mm. that he is facing. He fails. <laughs> yeah. Aramar picks up Rocco and kind of like moves to the open side of the ship and is signing in one hand because the other hand is clearly occupied. I, I like if it kind of mirrors something in the past. I'll say the line and we'll see what, what maybe it might mirror in the past tomorrow's past. But it's, a, it's alarmingly formal in this signing, whether it's, well, maybe it carries with the elaborateness of the hand. Would thou livest caged or will thou die a fallen brigand? Oh, yeah. And I think what we're going to do, we will cut back to young Oromar 
once more. Young Oromar, at a pivotal moment of the initial mutiny aboard the Uhuru, a moment that is pivotal because not only is this the moment that led to the success of the mutiny, but it is indicative of Oromar's strategic mind, a mind that would propel him and the Uhuru into the mouths of sailors all across fear as they spoke of this ship, her captain, and their adventures. It is a moment where the Red Feather captain, who Oromar led the mutiny against, felt they had won. But in fact, they had played directly into Oromar's plans. And the thing that they chose to say, with all of their bravado and all of their arrogance, would thou livest caged or die a fallen brigand? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. I'm sorry. It's just... You really are stupid. As um, Ah. there is, I think, for maximum, for maximum irony, uh, this is in, in almost in the similar space of kind of like a a kind of like bird-keeping space in this chase around the ship. And uh, Mm -hmm. this place not only keeps riding birds, but like smaller falcons and the cages that aren't in use are winched to the ceiling and can be raised and lowered as required. Hell yeah. And Oromar kicks like a wooden stop out the side of uh, an object with his boot and a chain that was next to him to the floor starts rapidly ascending to the ceiling as the cage that is on the other end descends rapidly as this red feather soldier looks up and sees a looming shadow. <laughs> Oh, God, yeah. Well, you know, I'm going to make this a little bit more brutal, Nathan. Mm. I kind of like the idea that Oromar does, like, kick out the cage. And I I think Oromar is surrounded kind of at sword point Mm. right now by, like, people who have cornered and captured, maybe maybe at bayonet point or what have you, kicks out this mousetrap-like device that is set up. The cage is falling elsewhere in the background. Mm. The thing that Oromar is concerned with, though, is the chain. The chain whips up from the floor very quickly and wraps around the neck of this captain (laughs) and Mm -hmm. pulls him in the air to hang. The men surrounding Oromar are too shocked to move as Oromar stands up from his knees where they had pushed him, stands up and addresses the captain as he now swings before him. Oromar grabs at the lapels of this man's coat and slips it from his shoulders. And then, in a graceful and dignified motion, sweeps it over his own and turns to face the men who are now part of his crew. (laughs) There is kind of like an adjustment of lapel, an adjustment of button, and just a really wide and genuinely winning smile 
the smile that one would offer a dance partner at a ballroom dance of the Red Feathers, or a smile that he has been trained to give, guileless, warm, radiant and sharp, just as he was taught that kind of feels in this gloomy underdeck area, the brightest thing in the room. And that is the smile that reflexively comes to Oromar's face as he holds this man out in front of him, holds Rocco, the man who swore loyalty to the Uhuru, who swore loyalty to more than that, a cause against the Red Feathers, the man who had created his own sentence, his own commitment to that fight, yet somehow found it inside himself to not just betray Oromar, but betray his crew and betray their mission. I'm interested to hear actually what Rocco's answer is. Would he live caged or die a fallen brigand? Rocco shouts, I want to live! (laughs) Aramar signs, no member of my crew would ever willingly be caged. And he just snaps the dude's neck. Yes, yes, yes! Yes! (laughs) We see his body hit the water, and we see the seals descend upon it and tear it apart. But unfortunately, on the other side of the ship, we see the difficult and unanticipated situation unfolding, which is when the ship whirled around and because Rocco shot off the supports that were keeping it held, the crate full of feather weave has gone flying out of the ship. However, however, you don't lose it. Not entirely. It's merely under great threat right now because shooting out after that on the back of Flea is Pliff, who is urging the bird forward. (laughs) I would like to do a flashback once more. Liz, this is in the middle of the hunting trip. This is when Pliff, who is very afraid of and nervous around these birds is up on Flea's saddle. What does Gable say to Pliff to teach him how to properly ride this animal? I think what happened here is that something went slightly awry during one of the Leviathan encounters where (laughs) it was supposed to be the two of them on, on the bird, but Gable fell off as in the middle of a bunch of tentacles and claws <laughs> and Pliff is the only one on flea and the only thing Gable is able to say is just be confident <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and what Pliff didn't know in that moment is that Gable was talking to Flea. (laughs) However, (laughs) 
those words echo in Pliff's mind right now. Be confident. Be confident. Be confident! (laughs) Flea explodes out of the side of the ship. Flea is a gray-headed albatross, legitimately one of the fastest birds in the world. And there was a rocking in the Uhuru because the Uhuru is currently suspended between an enemy ship and an anchor, but it's buffeted even further. Buffeted enough that the heart bell at the core of the ship sounds an incredible tone because of the power of Flea's wings as they explode forward, heading towards this bit of cargo. And I think there are the two sparrows that were surrounding the ship and harassing the ship that are headed towards it at the same time. But that's where we're going to have to drop session for now because we are out of time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Very good. Oh, boy, folks. I mean, that's super stuff. That's combat, baby. Yeah, that's combat. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Like Asians Represent. Asians Represent celebrates Asian creators and diversity in the gaming community. Join hosts Agatha Chang and Daniel Kwan as they discuss gaming, genre, and representation with their guests and occasionally argue with each other about the sound of Agatha's beloved Airhorn app. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. 
Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at PhantomArtsENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists, and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends ne'er to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.